Hello, everybody, and we are here with episode 104 of GM Party, where we are talking about documentary and mockumentary games. Uh, we have here Randy Lupin and Ed Platero uh, to help us with the discussion. Um, I'll turn uh, the stream over to them for, for a quick introduction. Randy, why don't you start? Hi, so my name is Randy Lubin. My design studio is Diegetic Games, and I've been uh, designing games for the past few years. I started with a lot of um, games geared about toward uh, world building and also providing lots of structure for novice players to help them tell good stories. Uh, but recently, I've taken a turn into the more freeform and LARP direction, including a game that we'll be talking about a bit today called Behind the Magic, which is a fantasy mockumentary game. Right. <clears throat> Uh, my name is Edward Platero. I am a uh, filmmaker, cinematographer based in London. Uh, I have a studio downtown. Um, I've done uh, films. I've done uh, short films. I did documentary. I took upon a big documentary project uh, about five, six years ago. Uh, and um, basically anything I can do behind the camera, I try to, to fill my time with that. Beautiful. And uh, as as I've said many times on this stream, uh, I also run doing a uh, tabletop game development. Um, and uh, let's let's get right into the topic here. So, um, oddly enough, um, Randy and I are both making documentary, well, mockumentary sort of based games. Um, which seemed to me like a fairly unique genre, but uh, we found each other on Twitter, and then I was like, I know a documentary filmmaker. I could drag you into talking with us. Let's let's use this as a, an excuse to uh, get some video going. So, um, Ed, um, I would like you to start out with what you think are the fundamental sort of attributes of a documentary. Uh, I think you. The most important is you have to have a, a narrative that's going to kind of take you from A to B through. So the viewer has a path to go to. They can follow uh, to help tell your story. I mean, you can you can branch off to the side and kind of look at sub sub stories, but ultimately, what is your main narrative um, to go from A to B? And I think that is the most important thing. Um, the, the, I think the, one of the best documentaries I've, I've, that I love uh, is one that's called It Might Get Loud. And they, uh, if in, anyone who hasn't seen it, it is um, it's kind of a, an open discussion about the history of guitar with uh, three guitar players from three different eras. And while they have a group discussion and kind of talk about what their approach to the instrument and everything, that is the narrative that leads us, leads us as the viewer through um, the documentary. But in each time, we get to see them branch off and tell the story of that era or this kind of style of playing. And it all kind of still loops around to the overall group discussion that uh, the three artists are having. So sure. that's one, one personally that, that I like. So, that, um, so what do you feel is the, the central narrative to that? Uh, I think for that one, it uh, was more... Um, what has been the evolution of guitar as an instrument? And that's, that's the narrative that they were, they were going after. So Randy, um, with you, your, your mockumentary, um, what's the name again? 
behind the magic. Behind the magic. So what's, do you feel like you have a central narrative for, uh, for that? Very much so. So um, to, to give the slightly high, high level pitch for it, uh, you're playing a group of incompetent adventurers who are on a quest to save the world and almost certainly going to fail. And so there's definitely this through line. At the very beginning of the game, you, uh, you choose, okay, what's our quest going to be? Um, a little bit about who our antagonist or villain might be. And also, uh, like, what are the different regions that we're going through? Like, where are we starting? Where are we passing through? And where is our goal ultimately going to be? And that really provides the backbone for the whole game. So you, you have a geographical element to, uh, to the game? Only lightly. So there's no map, but in order to, uh, to help with both the pacing and have scenes feel a little bit different and feel like the story has momentum, there's at least three different sort of regions that folks will go through. Cool. Uh, for, for mine, for Mic Drop, um, uh, so I know about it might get loud. I really should watch it. Um, but Mic Drop is basically, um, I joke about it being Spinal Tap the game. It's not the actual name uh, or byline, but the idea is that the experience that I want to create in the players is a similar experience to uh, what the actors in the movie Spinal Tap would have experienced. Um, so being able to creatively construct that narrative during play um, of a of a musical group that is more or less at each other's throats and on a likely doomed album tour. Likely. It, if it's not doomed, they have a lot of crap that they have to solve, um, which is fun. Um, but for for Mike Drop, it's it's a, it's one hundred percent about the band and the album tour. Um, so I, I'm seeing the parallels with Behind the Magic is you have a band of adventurers uh, on a tour of the countryside. Um, there's no music involved, maybe. Well, it, I guess they could all be bards. Uh, True. <laughs> um, but um, so, Ed, how do you um, how do you think it might be complex to be able to tell that narrative, to convey that narrative without having um, without knowing where the story is at the beginning of play? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a tricky question. Um, I guess like, what are we introduced with? Like, what? How how is the table set for the the player going in? Like, are we just dropped into this is uh, like this is day one of the tour? Is I'm just curious. So for I can answer for mic drop. Uh, mic drop begin plays in two phases. Uh, first phase is essentially band creation. So you, uh, it's card-based. So yeah. you, you have cards that define your uh, relationships to the other band members. Mm -hmm. Each band member has a specific role. You've got the, 
you've got the drummer, you've got the lead, you've got uh, the talent, you've got manager, hangers on, whatever role you end up choosing or randomly getting. You there's different interaction possible interactions between the different members. They are all dysfunctional interactions. There's no choice there. There's something wrong mm-hmm. between everybody. Um, in terms of how you tell that story, it's like here's a circumstance, and it's a, a, like a leading question. Mm-hmm. Uh, one example I can think of off the top of my head is uh, between the leader and the drummer. There's the question of, you refuse to share a hotel room ever. (laughs) Why? (laughs) What happened? Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out what happened and why there's no way in hell you will ever share a hotel room on the tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, all, all All of the interactions between the players are constructed in that kind of way. So you're set up with these relationships and these characters that you build out uh, before you even start the tour. Mm-hmm. The tour itself is also card-based, and it's basically you draw a card for every day. Okay. This, this part is still not refined yet. Mm-hmm. Currently, it's you draw a card per day, and something went wrong on that day. Okay. And it asks you a question about the thing that went wrong and how you dealt with it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, the front three rows of the concert got up and walked out. Okay. What did you say on social media about it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Or uh, how how did you rant about it or something like that? But it, it very much leads into how you sort of made a little bit of a mess and how you dealt with it. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, hmm, that's, I don't know. That's, that's, that's tough because the, the outcome is, I mean, you're telling a story, but you like the outcome is, is still unknown. Yeah. Uh, You're setting, you're setting up the dominoes, but you don't know how they're going to tumble. Yeah. See, because most most times when people approach a documentary, they they kind of like either it's happening now, right, or it's they're looking back on something that you know a piece of time or a person or or any of that. I, I mean, well, that that uh, that actually reminds me. So the, it's one of the variations I was playing with mm-hmm. was that this was framed as an interview. Okay. Uh, Rob Reiner style interview. Okay. The game is Rob Reiner interviewing gotcha. the band right. about the tour that just happened. Right. Oh, okay. Hmm. Oh, okay. So it's already happened. Yep. But the players are creating what already happened through conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's mostly a framing. A framing thing it's not so much a like the, the game's still unknown you still don't know how the tour goes but i guess i could define point a and point b in the setup it's like 
the band fell apart at the end of the tour. Mm. How did you get there? Yeah, that's what I was, I was thinking. If, if you had, if you looked at a band and looked at phases in their career, right? So then maybe this is the first one is phase one, right? And you kind of look at, okay, well, phase one could have happened. You know, the end goal is they became, they graduated from clubs to arenas or whatever, right? Right. Then, I mean, then you could look back on it as a historical thing. And then, then you have your story told, right? The pieces will get you there somehow. The game's still kind of on rails though, right? So. Somewhat, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's an interesting point. I'd, I'd have to take the events and split them up in the, into those different age of the band phases. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's the early events from when you were playing clubs, and here's the middle events when you were playing bigger venues, and here's the concert events, mm-hmm. which always end in disaster at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it strikes me as, uh, even within, like, even if you know the band, it, the tour is going to end in ruin, the band's going to break up, um, it could be still an interesting journey of figuring out the how and the why. Like, do they break up because of, purely because, like, is the... Whether it's the straw that breaks the camel's back or it's just overwhelmingly clear, is it coming from the fact that there's so much interpersonal tension in the band? Or is it about the band's relationship with the audience? Or is it about the record label deciding, you know what, you're, you're too much, we're not going to handle you anymore? And so it could be that's what folks are figuring out through play as they encounter and overcome difficulties. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, the other aspect of the game that uh, I haven't really talked about yet is the game's relationship with fame. Uh, So as you play the game, you are instructed, well, it's an an optional rule, but it's heavily recommended. I'm considering making it non-optional. But the idea is you uh, find a, a hashtag for your band, and any time you make a move, somebody has to say something on social media with that hashtag to actually make it real. So you have this sort of uh, uh, this augmented reality kind of experience that you are curating through the game. So the you know the char barrel charred barrels band. Uh, Twitter account. You can you can make fake Twitter accounts. Uh, have fake band members go nuts. Play play a whole campaign of this. Multiple tours. Um, it's, it's it's kind of that also needs to be play tested a bit more. But it's, oh, but it's fun. fun and it gives you a nice artifact at the yeah, end absolutely. of the tour or at the end of the game. Absolutely. So Randy, I feel like I've been dominating the chat a bit. Uh, let's let's switch over to uh, some magic stories. Sure. Uh, well, I can give you a little more on um, how it engages sort of with the documentary, mockumentary tropes, uh, and that might be a good launch pad for the conversation. Sure. So, uh, so baked into the game is the character of the bard, and the bard is a both a foil to all of the incompetent characters. The bard actually knows what they're doing, and they're along to document this epic quest and maybe it'll be made into like a epic poem down the road. Um, and so they're here as the, as the person who's really gonna be the contrast to the group, also the person who's gonna be asking lots of pointed questions. 
Uh, and so in addition to sort of classic documentary, mockumentary tropes, I'm also pulling on a bit of reality TV tropes. So the game has the idea of confessionals. Uh, so between the, the game is loosely structured into three acts. In between each act is a like rapid fire round of confessional where the bard is asking each character a question or two. Uh, and these are all you know, pointed questions that are you know, both deeply baked into the genre as well as some of the mockumentary tropes. So for example, you know, so uh, character, uh, character name, who in this party do you think is the greatest liability? That type of thing. Right, cool. And so, um, yeah, so uh, the, you know, so we have the bard, we have the confessionals. Um, there's, uh, in addition to the confessionals uh, before and after each act, uh, there's also, um, just, just a good deal of pulling in broader fantasy tropes. The idea is that between a little bit of like just knowing documentary, mockumentary uh, tropes and ideas and being familiar with sort of the epic fantasy genre, there's plenty of fodder for the players to, to use in, in coming up with the scenes. Cool. So does a, a player play the bard specifically or is that manufactured by the game? So the default way of playing the game, and this is something that when we get to sort of the workshop period of this, we can talk about, because I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with it. The, the default way of playing is that every player controls one specific character and some incompetent adventurer. And then the bard character is shared amongst everyone. So in the confessional uh, mode, you just rotate around. So if, you, if you're playing the role of the bard, you're interviewing someone, and then as soon as that interview is done, you, you jump in the hot seat and somebody else becomes the bard and interviewing you. And other than that, the bard isn't in any of the other real scenes. They're sort of just there to, to, to interject. Um, but I have toyed with the idea of having a full-time bard character. And that might be especially friendly for beginner storytellers who want a, a more hands-on facilitator. Yeah, that's, that's, what I've, um, that's what I've done with uh, Mic Drop. So um, having uh, the, the interviewer character, um, basically Rob Reiner, uh, is um, scripted. And it's provided entirely by cards, the, the rules script. Um, but some of, the, some of the people I play test with uh, we'll sit back and just say, oh, I don't really want to play, I just want to watch. It's like, here's a role that you can be at least somewhat active, but you don't have to think. I'm not sure if that's a good idea. <laughs> I'm always possible to make that uh, optional, right? And let the yeah. group sort of figure out, like, is this, is, you know, is this the way we want to you know, welcome someone in and lower the stakes for someone? Great, we can give them that role. If we're all really excited to play these ridiculous bandmates, then we can just be the bandmates. Right. Uh, so do you, have, do you have the bard have active um, uh, options, or is it all for, scripted? Like It's pretty much scripted. So in the confessionals, they have, you know, the one or two questions uh, per confessional that they're supposed to be asking each character. Uh, they have a little bit of freedom to, to be reacting, but my current guidance for them is to keep the spotlight on the zany party members and not make it about themselves as bard. If I were to pull out the bard and make it really a dedicated player character, I'd probably create a little more room for that bard to have personality. Um, yeah. Would you consider having a variant where the bard uh, variant mode of play where the bard would be an active character? Definitely. And so, so the question right now, 
uh, I, I definitely wouldn't choose to completely do away with the shared role of Bard. It's just a question of how how built out is that variant mode of play, and I, of course it needs some play testing. Right. Yes. Yeah. Have you been able to play test it yet? Um, so uh, not with the dedicated Bard, but I've play tested it a bunch of times uh, in the default the default way with a shared Bard. Um, tested it at a uh, Metatopia and Dreamation, and then a bunch of times with my home scene in San Francisco. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Mike drops only had one playtest, so it's rough. <laughs> yeah. well, nothing like getting it back out on the table to learn more and, and get some momentum going. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we have a, a board game cafe here that does that does developer nights once a week, which helps a lot. That's great. Yeah, so um, speaking of helping, uh, let's let's launch into a workshop fund. Uh, so uh, in terms of specific issues, um, do you, did you have any specific things that you wanted to talk about, Randy? Sure. Uh, so happy to chat about the, the current thing that I'm wrestling with. So, so again, in, in the broad con context of like the design process, I'm pretty far along with this. I'm starting to, to do the final uh, pass at the rules and doing the high-fidelity layout and design. But the big question that's come out of the last few playtests is just how much structure and hand-holding should I put in for uh, novice groups? So I, I've played this game a, a bunch of times, mostly with very strong players. And they've just you know taken to it really well and created really compelling stories that have been fun for me to watch as just sort of note-taker playtester. Um, the, the suggestion that's come up a couple times, though, is for, again, more novice groups having a series of potentially cards to help lay out what those scenes might be, which sounds like it might be a bit of the approach that you're taking with Mic Drop. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess I should explain how scene setting works now. So as I mentioned, the game's built broken into three acts. And uh, the, in the first act, you have just gotten this quest. You're in relatively safe lands, and you're just venturing out. Uh, you're getting to know the characters, and you're maybe interacting with the locals a little bit. In the second act, you're like going, you're you're now far from home, getting in all sorts of trouble, uh, some of your own making, some that's just you know imposed upon you. But uh, you're 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 definitely definitely not in safe area anymore. And in the third, you're just racing to the conclusion where you're going to have probably a confrontation with some sort of antagonist, and then determine if you you know succeed or fail at the quest. But within each of these there's just very high level guidance for what scenes might take place there. Uh, so um, for example, and I have, the, I have some of the examples in front of me, there, there's just like a, a short list of prompts that could be used. And the idea is to do somewhere between four and six scenes uh, per act or you know, and however many feel right for the narrative. But for example, in act three, you, know, you might have a scene that shows the party's darkest hour or the party clearing the air or rallying after some setback. Um, Compare that to season. I'm sorry, to Act One, where maybe they're accidentally causing trouble with the locals, um, or uh, hearing about troubles that might be ahead. And so again, there's a sort of short list that you know folks can go take a quick look at the list and then choose one particular pitch for a scene, pick some other players, and then jump right in. the The other approach, if I were to take card based, would probably have much more concrete scene ideas, probably with guidance to how many players would be in that scene. Right. Um... So this this made me think uh, of of something um, Ed was saying earlier. Uh, in terms of what you do with your uh, documentary work, Ed, uh, how much do you 
um, sort of direct people towards the narrative um, that you want to tell versus um, craft that in editing after filmmaking is done. Um, so when, when, uh, I go out and if I do any video I do where we sit down and we want to find the narrative to the story we're trying to tell is, um, I go in, I go in with a set of questions that kind of will keep us on track that are fail safes, right? That if we get, you know, if we get everyone answering this group of questions, then we've got, uh, we've got a big pool of, uh, pull quotes we can find. But from there too, I just, I, I would use every question as a, as a springboard. Right to kind of, um, to, you know, just to if if they answered a certain way, then I could kind of pull that thread if I felt that it was interesting or it it matched up with kind of the when we set out to do the thing, we had um, we had one narrative uh, the the documentary I was doing. We had one narr massive narrative that we wanted to tell. But we also had a few sub stories we wanted to talk about. So if somebody um, kind of kind of Veered off, veered into the way of um, lending to a narrative to one of the subplots we had, then we would pull out that thread a little bit. Um, so you have these subplots defined ahead of time. We had, yeah, we had ideas of these are the things. These are some of the the areas that we want to talk. We want to explore. Um, you know, we when I was doing that documentary, we were kind of exploring a, a little bit of a moment in time, um, and so. Um, but we had ideas, our like little buckets we wanted to hit on the way um, to to our narrative. So um, everything, like I said, everything we went into, we went in with a very specific set of questions, and then just kind of uh, you know allowed the conversation to take us where it needed to be. We always had the questions as a roadmap um, to keep us focused. Um, but it was really um, my time was spent until the artist. We ran out of time with the artist, really. So we would just talk until the last minute, and then, then that was in editing. We kind of would um, we would know, okay, well, we have you know him talking about this um, that we can use over here because uh, we we could catalog everything that we had in, in interviews to see, okay, well, this interview had talked about this, 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 and this, and we had a spreadsheet that would uh, have all that. Cool. Yeah. The. Uh, um... I, I can see that working well for your game, Randy, having all of these guiding questions and then this like web of tendrils and threads that you can kind of play with, especially if you have an active um, scribe. <laughs> Right, yeah, that active bard can really push the reincorporation and say, oh, well, you know, yeah, the, uh, the clumsy warrior, I remember you were, you were talking about, you know, these issues that you had with your mentor during training um, and, you know, continuing to ask those follow-up questions or maybe if, you know, that character is now in like a mentorship role with somebody in the party, like ha hammering home those parallels. Because uh, I, I think that reincorporation of subplot ends up being key. Yeah, I wonder if that could be uh, mechanized a little bit uh, so that you could share that responsibility in the uh, card prompts. So if you had, or if you use card prompts, but you, if you had uh, prompts that could call back to previous cards, like say you had, for instance, you know, green cards, red cards, yellow cards, blue cards, 
and you there's like a secondary thread that goes from green to green to green to green to green and it has sort of a common theme and it's not explicitly in the um the questions but they're all about the lizard people um so the green cards you're going to have be revisiting those stories and those themes as you go yeah i think that could work uh quite well dimension yeah, I think, I think that's great. Um, I think there's, there's probably a couple angles. I think one is deliberately introducing the subplots through cards and then having instructions to refer back to them. There could also be something in part of the setup of the game where characters are, uh, or player, players are supposed to come up with sub-goals or, or, or these possible subtopics for their characters. And so that could be, you know, even primed in one of those first card confessionals, like what is the one thing unrelated to the quest that you hope to get out of during this journey? And then prompts later on could be, oh, so, you know, this is a scene that involves you trying to get that thing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, referring back to the confessionals. That's, I like that. That's nice. Yeah, well, um, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, ask if that, I feel like I may have gone a bit on a tangent there, if uh, that sort of addressed your issues that you were talking about. It's definitely an interesting uh, possible approach. Right now, what I think I'm gonna have to do is go a little bit broad in terms of the different ways I might be able to use cards in structured uh, settings, and then just play test to see what the trade-offs might be. So, so for example, one of the, the things I'm toying with is, you know, so you, you, I can make it where there's a very fixed like order to the cards, and that is the sort of foolproof beginners. Like if you, if you have not played a lot of storytelling games, just use this order of setting prompts, and you're guaranteed to get a nice overall structure. Um, and then from there, it could be, okay, if you're a little more comfortable, then, you know, draw three cards um, from like the appropriate act pile, perhaps, and choose the one for the next scene. And then just always rotate who's selecting the scene. Um, I love the idea of like providing a bit of flexibility so that players can um, choose the thing that's most relevant or most interesting to them based on how the story's going. Uh, and then expert, expert groups can say, hey, hey we're going to ignore these cards altogether and just make up our own thing, which is kind of the default way of playing now. But um, I'm curious to see how you're thinking about it right now for your game. Like, are you, is it just like you, you flip over the card and that's it, or is there some degree of choice? Well, I, I have a couple things that I want to test out. One is just straight up random. Every uh, every card is an event that happens on a tour, and there's no separation of uh, beginning or end. It's just like they're independent and relatively uh, benign sort of events they can happen at any time um it's not super strong um so one of the thoughts i had was sort of your three act uh concept where you but you have uh sort of like the board game pandemic where you have you have a act one deck and an act two deck and an act three deck and one of the cards in there is progress to act two. And so you shuffle that deck, sandwich that progress to act two at the bottom, then you layer them. And so each act is a separate shuffle deck. Um, so you don't know what's going to happen in what order, and you can get that rough escalation of um, crisis, chaos. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, I was toying with that concept as well as uh, instead of using all the cards, you take out 10 cards for Act 1, 10 cards for Act 2, 10 cards for Act 3. Then you have the separator cards, and then you don't even know which cards are in there. Um, so you could get, you know, the bus broke down or not. Yeah, that's all nice because it adds to the replay value. The, yeah. Something you might be able to do which will help with card reuse but still show the escalating stakes could be having each card have a sort of, um, whether it's a, a first, second, and third act version of the prompt that get increasingly worse. Or um, and if, if you don't break it into acts, it could just be like sort of pandemic style. You have like a threat level that's going up. And so, um, you know, the, the bus breaking down could be, you know, it's fairly early on, like the bus broke down, but that just means that you have to, you know, hop on like public transit, lugging all your instruments. And then later it's like, oh, no, the bus broke down. You're completely going to you know miss this set or, you know, the, or the audience is going to be kept waiting for two hours and then you're showing up on stage, that type of thing. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good concept. Having the having the different um, career levels uh, on the card. That's that's interesting. I'm gonna have to play with that. Yeah. Question for you on um, on the resolution of these things. So these cards all introduce uh, problems. Um, is is the idea that through the conversation, um, folks are gonna figure out how they overcame that or what the consequences were? Um. That's still, I haven't addressed that yet. Um, mostly it's a narrative game, so it's, it's about telling a story that is satisfying, whether or not there's a guidance to a specific conclusion or not. Uh, I think, generally speaking, it's built into the question itself. So it's like, explain how this happened, or... Uh, Tell, tell, tell me how you got to your next gig after the bus broke down. Right, yeah. Talk about the time when. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So generally, I've been trying to build that into it so that there's some strong guidance there. Um, the only ones that would have a concrete sort of point B uh, would be the ones where you progress to Act 2, Act 3, whatever. Got it. That, that makes sense. And it really primes each one to be its own self-contained vignette. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this this was sort of inspired a little bit by another project that Ed and I were talking about, where recruiting a whole bunch of filmmakers, basically giving them scene cards. And it's like, make it, film this scene. You start with this start, you end with this end. Film it however you want, animate it, whatever, and we'll just string them together. And then have like a bunch of branching narratives and build an app. It never happened, but it was an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, I, yeah, I, I would still like to try that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, we still, so we were uh, uh, also thinking of uh, recording a actual play session of the LARP, The Climb, from Jason Morningstar. So where you're uh, a bunch of uh, terrible people climbing a mountain. Uh, and it's, yeah, we'll have to do that up sometime with like tents and gear and 
Oh, that's great. So, so many of uh, Jason's games, I feel, lend themselves really well to just being filmed and uh, and and then shared. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a no no with LARP in general, though. Uh, but Jason's seemed to lend themselves really well to it. The idea is the audience is part of it, but with the small parlor style ones, it, it works. Exactly. One of the things I've been discussing with some friends is the potential for uh, doing something like a escape room um, style production value, but geared for LARP. So you're inviting folks in to tell a story together. Um, you're providing some facilitation as the the employees of the place, um, but really you're you're benefiting from the like bit of set dressing and props and what else, and whatnot that folks wouldn't otherwise be able to get access to. So for the climb, maybe there'd be uh, like a, a set and the tents all set up, and you kind of show up and you do your hour, hour and a half game, um, and uh, it has like the economics of a of an escape room, and it makes it way more accessible for folks. Uh, it's one of those things that I haven't seen anyone really doing, but I would hope, yeah, you know, I hope I hope is a model that might take off. There is a place that I saw called Escape House, uh, and or no, LARP House, LARP House, and they do that, uh, but I, it's basically a house that they have and they run LARPs in each room. Cool. A anything to make the hobby more accessible. Sorry? Anything to make the hobby more accessible to folks. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. So the uh, um, in terms of production, uh, what, uh, what kind of um, physical production are you planning for your game? So that'll be partly dependent on if I have cards. Uh, if there's not cards, then that that shapes it up a little bit differently. So I feel like it'll probably end up being 10 pages of rules and maybe a, another 10 pages of handouts. And I think it's a, a tough thing to sell and monetize. So what I'd probably do is just put it up on DriveThruRPG or one of the other sites like that for um, just the, you know, the PDF, pay for the PDF. I'd have to figure out the fair price, but maybe $12. Dollars, fifteen dollars. If there are cards involved, and there's a small number of cards, then you know there'd probably be a, an option where you get the cards, and an option where it's just just digital. Um, but it's it's tricky for these these style games that there really isn't a great uh, delivery method yet, unless you have something a little bit different going on. So um, a ghost court, for example, including the gavel and uh, a wig, another Jason Morningstar game, uh, right. Judge Judy with ghosts. I think that that's great because now, now there's like a physical thing that you're getting, even though the the rules are fairly uh, short. In that case, you're also getting the cards. But I think if you don't have something like that, it can be a little tricky. I think for your game, if there's a hefty deck of cards, then that that's a, a clear path to to monetization. Though, uh, what yeah. are you thinking? Uh, yeah, with uh, with my prop, I was considering uh, tarot cards. Uh, seventy-two, I think it's seventy-two cards for uh, tarot deck. So like nice chunky big cards, uh, ups the cost a bit, but uh, it feels like a compelling game, and the theme is strong. It's easy to communicate. People grasp it right away. Heavy metal band covers all over the box. That, that kind of good flashy thing, and I feel like it. It also would um, present well on streams uh, for people playing it. So playing it live, turn it up to eleven. <laughs> Definitely. Actually, one question for you back on the, the your cards and the game mechanics. I was just curious. Mm -hmm. um, are are you tracking 
uh, state in any way, whether that's like the tension among the group or or with the audience or the the label or, or anything like that, or are the cards fairly just like it's up to the players to weave them together. So there's there's one phase that I didn't talk about at the very beginning before you even choose your player roles. You talk about the uh, band as a whole. So like you come up with the name, the genre of music, the name of the album, the name of the tour, um, other tours and other albums. Those six questions, that's it. Uh, some people just go crazy with it and like build out all sorts of stuff and like somebody starts sketching album covers and it's, it's fantastic. But um, um, that part, that's really the only part that ends up getting recorded. Um, but the uh, tracking is pretty much all boiled down to that social media variation where you build that um, conversational artifact. Cool. Um, and and when I was saying tracking, I mean, I mean, I, I love the the, the artifact um, that get, that gets left behind. But I also meant in terms of getting a quick glimpse based on sort of the state of play. You know, just how close are we to the end? How close are we to breaking up? Like, is there, you know, if, if there's a way of making that really legible to players, they can really lean into the fact that the band, there's maybe there's one person in the band or the band overall is like almost about to just like walk out the door and give up on the whole thing, where the money's just about to run out, something of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not tracking any of that. Uh, any the the stack of event cards in the tour. That's about it. Uh, when they're when they're gone, it's gone. Cool. No, it's clean. And uh, my guess is that folks will see how many cards are remaining and have a have a decent sense of of how much pressure they should should put into the situation. Oh, yeah. The uh, I had a similar um, similar tactic with uh, the game I'm working on now before mic drop, uh, which is almost done, called Perfect Pitch. And you have, um, you have a bunch of answer questions. You, you do improv style prompts and you draw a card to find out how you're allowed to answer the question. Um, the, and you, as an effort to sort of keep the games condensed but also work with any number of players there's very specifically only 10 answer cards so if you have 10 players they ask one question each if you have two players they get to ask five questions each it, it scales beautifully um the uh so the the fun of that is that the answers that you are required to give, they're all improv style. So you've got yes and, yes but. Uh, we're working on that. So basically yes, but later. Uh, or what do you mean by that? And then yes. <laughs> so you always have to agree and you always have to uh, take what's offered to you. It's very much an improv style game in that respect. Um, but so people can be a little, uh, can throw wild things at each other and try to trip people up, but it makes for fun stories. Ah, it sounds great. Yeah. But having the limited number of answers uh, that, uh, 
it really seems to work players. So I'm hoping that I can make mic drop work with, you know, uh, duo duo bands all the way up to ensemble, like seven member bands with like four member bands with entourages and managers and the whole business. And everybody is a train wreck of a human, and they just hate each other, but somehow they're on a tour together. Sounds great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in, in terms of my production stuff, yeah, I was thinking of just uh, doing uh, tarot card designs using uh, drive-through cards. Um, I, I've been playing with InDesign lately and teaching that to myself. Uh, it's, it's a thing. It is definitely a thing. I've, I've been on that journey as well. Are, are you going to commission artwork for the cards, or uh, will that get pricey? Well, I probably will. Uh, I work at a video game development company, uh, so there's lots of artists there uh, that I can probably weasel out some kind of deal. It's like, I'll give you free copies. Make your lunch. <laughs> no, you got pay pay the artist, even if it's a token amount. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I will for sure, but... <laughs> It's it's helpful when they're your friends also, and it's like totally agree. You want to enjoy that collaboration process. Yeah, and it's like I'm gonna get you to play this game before you make the art, so that you can understand what the hell you're making the game of the art for, which is nice. Definitely. Yeah, I was just thinking. I mean, if you do 72 cards, that's a it's a lot of artwork, but that's also a really fun commission and art direction process. Yeah. Well, certainly I, I'll do um, artwork for the rules and for the card backs. The fronts, I might do more of a generic design just to keep it readable. Um, maybe not. Well, the, there's eight roles for the members. So it would be nice to have art for those two rather than just the word leader, <laughs> drummer. Actually having some, some would be cool. Yeah. How about you? Uh, so I uh, already have uh, started the process of uh, commissioning cover art. Uh, I'm working with uh, Megan Dornbrock of the uh, Modifier podcast, and she's a great game designer and a phenomenal illustrator, and her whimsical style perfectly captures the mockumentary kind of high fantasy parody thing I'm going for. So uh, it, it, she's been doing a great job so far. Um, we're just transitioning now from like the thumbnail sketch stage to the high fidelity stage. But uh, just coming up with the character concepts for this cover, it's going to be an ensemble party and the bard. And the bard is going to be like very competent and polished looking, and everyone else is just a mess. So you have like the ranger who has like a many-fold map piled up at their feet and like trying to make heads or tails of where to go next. You have a, a warrior who's so laden down with equipment that they're toppling over. Uh, a wizard setting their beard on fire. Uh, just I get really, really fun coming up with these designs and, and going back and forth. That's right. That right. Yeah, this. I want to play this. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I met Megan at uh, PAX Unplugged. Uh, She's great. She's wonderful, yeah. Cool. Can I ask you guys a question? I'm just fascinated listening yeah, to you guys talking. Absolutely. So how long have you, been, have you guys been working on your games and kind of where did the idea come from and, like, to get it to where – I just I'm just curious to, to backtrack the thought process and kind of how you guys got to where you, you are right now. Uh, well, um, perfect pitch 
the the improv one that that one's about pitching a video game to a bunch of executives that is a hundred percent inspired by my day job uh being like creative people pitching an idea to completely uncreative people and having it ripped apart and designed by committee so that 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 game is a bit of catharsis for me i will admit uh but somehow it worked and it's super fun so um that's the thing uh as far as mic drop um i believe that one was a, a joke that i made and somebody said you should make a game out of that and that's kind of how it happened and then i watched spinal tap for a bit I don't know, 120th time. And it's like, oh, I really should make a game about this. This is just too good. There's a lot of material in there. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, my game has its roots in an earlier game I made for the 200-word uh, RPG competition that was almost exactly a year ago. And it was a game I made called Good Morning Magic Land, where you play out uh, like a local access TV network Rapid, this was around a table, so it wasn't freeform, and you were just rapid fire sort of coming up with shows. So you go around the circle, when it was your turn, you would be playing the role of the host, you'd be introducing whether it's like a, a travel show or food show or local news. And then you'd say, and, and I'd like to welcome our guest. And then you just introduce a random character and point to a player to be the guest. You'd play out a segment. Um, that was partly inspired by Hello from the Magic Tavern, the uh, podcast, which I really enjoy. Um, so just trying to help people tell those kind of stories. and. Um, Good, um, Behind the Magic came about early to mid-fall of this past year, so about a half year ago, when I was thinking about how to make Good Morning Magic Land uh, play better in sort of a campaign-y format, or, or if not a campaign, then at least just longer, um, and something that was more cohesive than just these light, rapid-fire uh, um, vignettes. And uh, very quickly made the connection with, oh, you know, this is just like, um, you know, it's, it's a, mock a mockumentary fits this perfectly because it ha still has that kind of format of, oh, it's real, but you have an interview going on. Um, there's a sort of great source material to, to join from there to pull on uh, uh, Harmon Quest or Journey Quest uh, in terms of the comedy and the high fantasy. And uh, the, the first play test of it that I did, uh, again, probably late September, it wasn't free form either, it was just around a table and that worked well. But uh, the following week I was at Big Bad Con um, in California, really great uh, convention with lots of indie storytelling games. And I was talking about this idea with Jason Morningstar, and he immediately responded like, oh, you should totally try that as a freeform game, get people moving around embodied, and they'll just have a ton of fun. And as soon as he said it, I was like, of course that makes sense. Uh, did another uh, quick test of it, and then brought it to Metatopia a week or two later. And uh, and then it just like, it's one of those, you know, sometimes games take a lot of processing and remixing and trying out lots of different rules, but this one just came out almost, you know, 80% of the way in that first test. Um, and again, it helps to have like really strong players because you can kind of then note down what they're doing and then try and make it so that any players can do that. But it's been a, a really fun, fun process. Nice. Cool. Yeah, that, and in terms of um, time, that was the other part of the question. Um, perfect pitch. Um, I, I had a similar experience. Perfect pitch was, uh, the, that one was, 80% of the way in like 10 seconds. Um, and it was it was done initially with just playing cards, uh, just with lookup tables and that kind of stuff, which kind of sucked. 
Um, but it got it, got it working and, and, uh, it was easily testable. And then I just kept trying it with people at work and like, everybody who gave it a shot loved it. Challenge was getting people to give it a shot because it's, it's a, a little bit of a, it kind of needs a trigger warning for video game developers. <laughs> it's like, well, this part of your your job that you really hate, we're gonna make it fun. Yeah, they didn't buy it very much. Um, so uh, that that was a challenge. Uh, I brought that to Cardboard Cafe, the, the, the game dev night. I was surprised at how well received it was. Um, so I started uh, doing custom cards for it and all that. Just ordered proofs last night, so that's that's uh, that's a big step. Um, quite a bit of work. I've had the um, idea sort of mulling around for a few years. Um, most of the work that happened on Mic Drop ended up being done on planes for some reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you're like that's sometimes it's the best place because you're like trapped. Right? Yeah, no exactly. internet, you can't get any phone calls, can't get any email. Like you, you have really no choice but to sit and do something. Yeah, book, go to sleep or work in uninterrupted for three hours. Yeah, so that's what happened. Is I worked uninterrupted on mic drop, and it's like, this is this is great. <laughs> I have a couple couple of other concepts that. So what I did. Um, in February this year is I decided on uh, four games to release in uh, 2018. So uh, Perfect Pitch and Mic Drop are the first two. And uh, uh, the other two are uh, Soul on Delivery and Dead Air. Um, both are horror-ish, I guess. I don't know. Soul on Delivery is a epistolary game about um, message writing and demonic contracts. Um, it's played through the post with paper folding and origami, and it's super weird. Um, but that that one was sort of a inspired by. Um, a memory of my grandmother in the UK sending me uh, airmail. And because uh, postage was weight-based when it came between the UK and Canada, uh, she would never send a letter. She would have envelopes that she would write on and seal up and send the envelope. So when, when I got an envelope from my grandmother, I had to open it really carefully so I wouldn't destroy the message. Hmm. So that's what this game is, is you, you print up the envelope and then you do your portion of the story, seal it up, and send it off. Hmm. Um, and the contained within the envelope I haven't decided if this is a solo game or a two-player game. If it's a two-player game contained within the envelope is the next step 
for the recipient to send you a letter back, like uh, sending things away to cereal boxes from when I was a kid, or the um, or if it's a solo game, it's just one half of the conversation between a demon and an imp. And you have to piece together what the hell is going on because you, you keep hearing like this one half of the conversation being mailed to you bit by bit. Hmm. Um, and the fourth is dead air, and that's uh, which I may do that a little sooner because there's a certain movie that just came out that is like the same concept. Mm, okay. So Dead Air is a freeform, a freeform game with a device. So it has a custom app that runs on an iPad or iPhone or whatever. And you put that in the center of the table. You're, the idea is you're in, trapped in a cabin. And outside the cabin are monsters that want to eat you. But they won't eat you if they can't hear you. If they hear you, if the device hears you, they get closer. So you have to figure out, you have to deal with the storyline without letting the device know, but you also aren't allowed to get up from the table. So you have to sort of negotiate that as that happens. But there's this movie called A Quiet Place that it was like, this is my idea as a movie. This is amazing. <laughs> so I, A, I have to go see that, see that movie because uh, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, and B, if I make my game soon, then maybe I can leverage some of that thing. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So with like the device, I guess like if if there's so much noise generated, I guess the, the threat level rises. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I was thinking um, uh, a like a radar sweep, mm -hmm. and as you make noise, the green dots on the radar sweep get closer and closer until the house gets destroyed. Nice. Yeah. At least that's the concept. But I haven't even made the app yet. This is all just like in my head. So uh, in theory, uh, it should be doable in Unity as a cross-platform game. Surprisingly, there's not many systems that allow for cross-platform microphone input decibel detection in a way that is not really some, like there are ways to do it on iOS, there's ways to do it on Android. There are not many ways to do it on both simultaneously. <laughs> Unity happens to be one of them. Um, so that is kind of my big one. <laughs> For so there, spoilers. <laughs> You have any other uh, stuff uh, planned, Randy? Oh, so many things planned. I'll share just a couple. Um, so, I guess the, thing, the first thing I probably should share is that I have a Kickstarter going on right now with some of my friends at TechDirt, uh, a tech blog. Um, and so, uh, we're currently kickstarting a competitive card game, which is a, 
a bit away from the normal narrative games that I do, but the story behind this was so compelling to us that we just wanted to get it out there. So the, the game is called Collect It All, and it, it, or CIA Collect It All, and it is based on a recently declassified CIA training game. So the CIA has been making uh, board games to help train their analysts, and they talked about it a little bit last year at South by Southwest, and then someone sent a Freedom of Information Act or FOIA request saying, hey, government, can you release these files to the public? And sure enough, it was declassified, and just last month it was shared out. And we worked really hard to say, okay, let's just get a Kickstarter up and make this thing for the public. And so we we launched it last week. We're already almost 200% funded, and so that's one adventure I have going on right now. So again, it's uh, CIA collected all on Kickstarter. They have until May 22nd, I think, to back it. So, but that that's a diversion from my my usual um, storytelling games. The on the storytelling game front, the other game I'm most excited about, which will hopefully be published within the next month or so, is a game called Honorbound, and it's a collaboration with Jason Morningstar, uh, and he, and he's an absolute treat to collaborate with. But the the pitch here, it's a it's a game about honor culture and toxic masculinity through the lens of an old-fashioned duel. So you're playing, it's a free-form game, uh, you're playing six characters whose lives are, are entangled with each other, these two duelists, their seconds, and then a judge and a doctor. And the game takes place from when the challenge is first issued to uh, when the first shot is fired. And it's all about these people who really don't want to go through with the duel, but society pressure, societal pressure makes it really hard to, to defuse and de-escalate. So, uh, so we've, we've tested it a couple times. Uh, hopefully I'll have another test in in the next week or so. And then uh, Jason already has done a phenomenal job with, uh, with the layout. And I think uh, it's, it's in a very close uh, form to shipping. And we're going to simultaneously release it to his uh, Drip uh, backers and my Patreon backers. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, Jason's pretty great. Uh, I... Did uh, pack some plug to probably get him on the show if I can ever manage to schedule it. But, yeah, yeah, he, he's absolutely wonderful and just a, a pillar of the game design community, and so great at at welcoming new designers and really creating an inclusive and safe space. Yeah, I, I gotta say I'm really enjoying the indie RPG community. It's way better than the indie video game community, oddly enough. Some people might disagree. I don't know. <laughs> it, it really is just such a, such a wonderful community, though. I've I've had such amazing experiences with so much so many different designers in different contexts, and it feels like everyone just wants to, to help each other uh, make great games and have great experiences. Absolutely. All right, it's uh, it's been a pretty good show. Do you guys have anything else to talk about? What do you want to talk about? Not that I can think of. Not on my end. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm just going to, uh, why don't we just go around and um, give uh, let people know what, where they can find you once again. Uh, Randy. So uh, again, my name is Randy Lubin, R-A-N-D-Y-L-U-B-I-N. My game studio is Diegetic Games, uh, which just Google me and you'll find the studio. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I also have a Patreon. Um, and uh, I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. Uh, my name is Edward Platero. I have, uh, you can find me online. Uh, my Twitter is ePlatero, so E-P-L-A-T-E-R-O. That'll pretty much get you anywhere, me on the social medias. I have the same username across um, all platforms. 
Um, my website is platerovisual.com. You can check out our portfolio and uh, see the work that we, we do there. Oh, cool. And uh, as always, I'm Andy Berdan, uh, A-N-D-Y-B-E-R-D-A-N, uh, on the Twitters. Um, yeah, check me out. I'm fairly vocal. <laughs> uh, and uh, for uh, GM Party, uh, it's at the obvious URL at gmparty.com. And check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash gmparty. And uh, that's a wrap. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.